All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Thomas. I am part of the pastoral staff here. We're glad that you could be here with us on this Sunday. Before we look at the passage today, just want to highlight a couple of things at our church. If you guys were here last week, you know that we had a prayer gathering because this year in 2024, we're committing it to a year in prayer. And um, this is our gathering. It was awesome seeing so many come out and just come and pray together. We're going to do this monthly. So the last Sunday of every month, we plan to gather as a church after service at 4 p.m., light dinner afterwards. So if you didn't come to the last one, we, please, we invite you to please come to this next one whenever you're able to, to come. And if you did come last time, we're more to welcome back and just was really blessed and encouraged by our prayer gathering. Also, we are going through our Bible reading plan. We're in Leviticus, which is the Mount Everest of every Bible reading plan because there are many dead bodies on the way to Leviticus. But if you died on the Bible reading plan, it's all good. Just jump back on. Numbers is way more engaging for some folks, but I hope you guys could join and hope you could continue on. Uh, And again, this is your first Sunday with us. We've been going through a sermon series in the book of Exodus. And Exodus, second book of the Bible, we went through chapters 1 and 2 the past two weeks. And what's interesting about chapters 1 and 2 is it actually covers a span of 400 years. So it just like jumps time really quickly in those first two chapters. But in Exodus chapter 3 and all the way to the end of chapter 40, it just covers a span of one year. So Exodus slows down because this is the important part that the author really wants us to pay attention to. And so if you have your Bibles or if you have your programs, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 all the way to verse 15. And here at our church, we believe that when we read the scriptures, our God is alive and he is speaking. So can we all rise together? And we're going to read this, Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So the writer of Exodus writes, Now meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within the bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come any closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent you, and they ask me what is his name, what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, Say this to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. This is a reading of God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, we invite you to be here in this space for us to be awakened to your presence and for us, Lord, to hear you speak to us. Spirit move, stir in our hearts, in your son's name, amen. You may be seated. Last summer, I spoke at a church in Seattle, and while I was speaking, I shared that I'm from California, I live in the OC, and that's how I introduced myself. And I remember after that service, you know, mingling with different people in the congregation, and a person came up to me going, oh, you're from California, and you live in Orange County? Do you happen to know my friend? His name is Daniel. He's Korean, and he also lives in Orange County. And I was all like, man, like, man, and again, for those of you who don't know, if you don't know, like, Daniel is like... The most popular name if you're Korean and you live in Orange County. No offense to the Daniels here, but there are plenty of you here. It is the most popular name, and so many different faces came to my mind when he brought up I knew Daniel. So I asked him, well, what's his last name? He's like, it's Lee. Like, Daniel Lee. You have to be way more specific, brother. And so he was mentioning, oh, and he mentioned he goes, he actually goes by D. Lee. He went to UC Irvine. He's a photographer. He's really funny and quirky, and he has kids. I'm like, oh, D. Lee. Like, oh, yeah, I totally remember that guy. We went to college together, and we just started talking about him because now we know there's a common Daniel that we're talking about that we were both referring to. And the reason why it was helpful for him to kind of give me that extra information is because, you know, with him saying Daniel, that wasn't helpful. Like, what do people call him? What's his, like, name, his personal name? And he also told me his story. Like, this is, you know, he's a photographer. And that helped me to, like, orient myself that, oh, this is the person that we are talking about, the same Daniel. Now, in a similar way, I think there's a name that we throw around a lot today, and we all presume we're talking about the same person. Here's the name. God believe in God. God has a plan for you. Don't mess with God. God would never do something like that. And when people like talk in that language, we should pause and ask ourselves, well, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about the same God? What, when you think of God, like, what, are you, what do you imagine? What's he like? And I think the problem with a lot of us here, is, even in the church, is we all have this muddled idea of who God is. It's like murky, it's ambiguous. We all acknowledge there's a God and we believe in him, but the image and the idea of who he is, man, like we're all on different pages sometimes. And because it's so murky and ambiguous, we have trouble relating to this God. And so a question that the church should ask is, as followers of Jesus, how can we learn who God is and how can we know who we're talking about when we describe God? And this is why the story of Exodus is really important. The story of Exodus is where we learn who God is. Most specifically, we learn what his name is, what people call him, and we learn about his story. We mentioned before, but when you see the the word God in the Bible, in Hebrew, it's the word Elohim. And so this word here, that's every time you see God, it's the Hebrew word Elohim, which is like a title. It's like when you call someone doctor or mister or missus. And it's like this formal type of recognition of who this God is. But whenever you see in your Bible is the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's actually referring to Yahweh. Daniel, uh, Elohim is like Daniel. Yahweh is like Dili. If you know him, that's what you call him, Yahweh. And this is the personal name of God of Israel. And what's really interesting in the book of Genesis, 
You actually see Yahweh appears throughout that book 162 times. This is how God of the Bible relates to his people. He wants to be relational in the way where he is Yahweh, not just some nameless God. And what's interesting, Exodus chapters 3 to 40, Yahweh appears everywhere. It appears so many times because this is the way that the God of the Bible wants to relate to his people. He wants to be known as Yahweh. But what's fascinating is in Exodus chapter 1 to 2, the chapters went through the last two weeks, Yahweh is mentioned zero times. He's referred to as Elohim, but you never see Lord, Yahweh, in those chapters. And the reason why is because Israel at this time, including Moses, everybody in Israel, they only knew God as Elohim. They forgot that he's Yahweh. And this is where Exodus is meant to reintroduce who Yahweh is by not just revealing his name to Israel, but he's going to reveal his story to them through the conversations Yahweh has with the people he's dealing with in Egypt, to the responses that you see him make, to the actions he takes. What we're going to learn is who Yahweh is and what he's all about. And this is relevant to us because a lot of us here, especially if you're here in the church today, my guess is a lot of you, you believe in God or a concept of God, but have you ever acknowledged and met him as Yahweh? When's the last time you prayed, dear Yahweh, bless this day? Have you ever done that before? It is so unfamiliar to us. It is so foreign with us. But the thing is, God, in the Bible, Yahweh, he never once mentions the idea, refer to me as God. He always wants us to call him by his personal name, acknowledging him, Yahweh. Because that's how he wants to relate to us. So that begs the question, what does it look like to meet, not Elohim, general God, but what does it look like to meet Yahweh? Because a lot of us are here, God, but Yahweh is a different story, and we're going to find out what that looks like when Moses meets Yahweh. The context here is Israel, they've been under oppression and Egypt rule for 400 years. God raises an individual named Moses, but Moses, even though he was raised in the Egyptian royalty, he murdered the Egyptian, and then he's a fugitive, and now he's in the wilderness, and he's in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses is an 80-year-old man. Life feels over to him, and yet this is when Yahweh meets him, and we learn three things about Yahweh and what it means to meet him. We're going to answer the question, when do we meet Yahweh? What are the, what's the context where you actually meet, not Elohim, but Yahweh? Two, what happens when we meet Yahweh? And then three, how should we relate to Yahweh? So when do we meet him? What happens when we meet him? And then how should we relate to him? First, when do we meet Yahweh? Exodus chapter 3, it opens by showing a picture of Moses doing the same thing that he's been doing for the past 40 years, shepherding in the wilderness. If you have your Bibles, your text, if you can look with me, verse 1, look what it says. The passage begins by saying, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This day began like any other day. He's just walking around, guiding his sheep, going into the wilderness. But then something catches Moses' attention. There is a bush that is on fire, and yet it is not being consumed. Look at verses 2 to 3 with me. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within the bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. 
Why isn't the bush burning up? The bush was on fire, but yet it wasn't withering. It was just on fire endlessly. And Moses, he goes, let me check this out. And this is where Yahweh shows up. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Let's pause here for a moment. Why did Yahweh choose to speak to Moses through the burning bush? Couldn't Moses have just been walking and all of a sudden a voice comes and goes, Moses, he's oh my gosh, and there's just this voice? Like, why did he have to go through the trouble of a bush burning and getting Moses' attention that way? I love the way that author Tim Keller puts it. He says, the reason why this happened is because the burning bush, it went against everything Moses understood about reality at that time. Remember, Moses, he's been living in the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd. He's probably seen every type of bush, leaf, tree, shrub. He is an expert wilderness person. He knows everything. Nothing surprises him. And yet, he saw something on this day that went against everything he is familiar with. A bush on fire, and it's not being consumed. This went against the reality that Moses lived, and that's what got Moses' attention. And this is when God chooses to reveal himself. And notice that this is the first time in Exodus he's not God, but it says what? The angel of the Lord, capital L-R-D. Yahweh appears for the first time in Exodus at this moment. What do we learn from this moment where Moses meets Yahweh? One takeaway for us today is Yahweh, he tends to appear in the burning bush moments of our lives. Burning bush moments are moments in life when something goes against your perception of reality and you are forced to rethink how you view life. For example, some of you, you experience a burning bush moment in your moments of struggle where things are not turning out the way you thought it would and just makes you rethink life. I, I kind of, I feel bad when I meet young college students, and I say this all the time, but life is going to be surprising for y'all. Like, it's going to be really different. I'm looking here because a lot of the collegians are here. It's going to be really different because all of us here, we go into college with a plan. Like, I'm going to be a bio major, and once I become a bio major, I get into a med school. Hopefully at med school, when I get into a good med school, I'm going to meet a spouse in med school, and then I'm going to, we're going to work as doctors, and I'm going to have a family, and that's like our plan. But then when we actually live it out, man, OCHEM is hard. OCHEM is really challenging. Wow, getting into med school, that's really hard. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's not really fun being in medicine all the time. It's really stressful. And then, lo and behold, when you're older, all of a sudden, you're, you don't have anyone to be married with. You don't have a family. And this is like you think in these moments, like, wow, your life is not going how you planned. It forces you to rethink your life. This is a burning bush moment. You would have never thought otherwise unless something like this happened. Or some of you, you're the opposite. Your life went pretty similar to how you planned. You killed it in OCHEM. You were a great bio major. You got into a great grad school. You're married. You have kids. And it's not nearly as satisfying as you thought it'd be. It's not nearly as fulfilling as you imagined it to be. And when this happens, it's like, wow, you thought you'd be happier, and yet you're not, and it makes you rethink everything. What's going on? That's a burning bush moment. Or some of you, it's not as dramatic as that, but it might be these little paradoxes that you experience. If you're like that thinking, introverted, you just think about life, like you come across this a lot, this is me all the time, where you just encounter something in life 
And all of a sudden, as you keep growing, you go, wait, this doesn't make sense. How do I make sense of this? And it makes you just question everything. Let me give you a famous example. She's kind of famous. There's this atheist author. Her name was Ayan Hershey Ali. Uh, she grew up a Muslim. She said, I left God behind years ago. I was atheist. My moral compass was within myself, not in the pages of a sacred book. Advocate of women's rights, advocates against forced marriage, advocate against women oppression, advocate against honor killing. And she was just really vocal about the idea of like, human rights. But what's interesting is this past year, in 2023, she's now a Christian. And she's a Christian because she was saying, she came to realization, how on earth can I speak about the dignity of humanity for all people when I have zero basis of why they're even dignified? Like, what makes me care so much? Like, what makes them valuable? And she realized, I don't have a worldview that can make sense of that. And it made her question everything. That's a burning bush moment. Yours may not be in that intellectual realm, but we all have moments like that when you're in the Grand Canyon and you see the mountain and you go, dude, did this come from nothing? And it's just like this moment that comes in your life. Or I hear a lot of parents say this when they they're have a birth of a child and all of a sudden it just makes you rethink everything about your life. Or for some of us, it's like this radical experience where the previous 20, 30 years of your life, it just cannot make sense of what you're experiencing right now and it forces you to think differently. That's a burning bush moment. And so in those moments, that makes us really rethink everything. And the question is, are you experiencing that right now? Is life for you not planning out the way you thought it would? It's causing you to like rethink things? Is life, did it turn out the way you thought it would? And you're like, this is not nearly as satisfying or as fulfilling as I thought. Or are you experiencing like these paradoxes, these like interesting moments where you're just like, man, I just can't make sense of this. Just know if that's you, you might be going through a burning bush moment. And in those moments, Yahweh is likely calling you. Yahweh wants to meet you in those moments. And so for a lot of us here, let me ask a quick question. Those of you who are, and there are a lot of you here, you're exploring Christianity. You're here because, you know, you went to church as a child. You grew up believing in the concept of God. And now, you know, but you left the church a long time ago. And yet here you are dating someone who takes God really seriously. And he, and he or she tells you, I'm not going to marry you unless you're a Christian. <laughs> so now you're here. Or some of you, you have this weird desire where you strange, like, I should go back to church. You don't know why. You're at, you're at church again. Or some of you, you've been feeling kind of just empty and lost, and you feel like maybe this religion thing has an answer. Why are you here? Like, why this moment? What a Christian would say is, Yahweh might be calling you because you would not be seeking him unless he was seeking after you first. That's how Yahweh works. And this burning bush moment in your life is this moment where rethinking life and seeing what Yahweh has to say. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you might be like, oh yeah, I've encountered Yahweh, uh, but how come I don't really experience him personally like this, like the way that it seems like I should? And we have to look at the story again. When the burning bush was there, Moses could have easily go like, oh, a burning bush, that's weird, and just kept going. Because he's a shepherd. He was in the middle of work, tending his sheep. And Moses could have kept going, but instead Moses chose to stop, to pause, and to go, and to see what that was. And for a lot of you here who say you're Christian, your life is so busy that even when there's a burning bush in your life, you're too busy for it. You just don't have time to make. And the thing is, you will never encounter God as Yahweh if you don't make space to pause and to meet with him. 
And what ends up happening is a lot of us here, because of that, we believe in Elohim, but then we go to our community groups and we just complain about the same things. I'm tired, work is so busy, I don't have time, and I'm depressed, and I'm worried, and I'm spiritually down, and I don't know why. And it's very clear. The pastors keep telling me, you should be meaner to the congregation. Like, be mean. I'm like, oh, I can't. But here's my one moment, like trying to be like, a little mean. Dude, you can't be close to God if you don't make space each day to pause for a moment and to be with him. You have to stop your work. You have to stop the craziness of your life. Not all day, not 24-7. Five, ten minutes, just pausing, being in the presence of God, remembering the burning bush, experiencing him not as just Elohim, this outside force that just is sovereign over you, but this Yahweh God who is personally there. You could only experience him if you do what Moses did. You got to stop. You got to breathe. You got to stop what you normally do throughout the day for just a moment and go to him. That's how we meet Yahweh. Now, what happens when you meet Yahweh? What happens if you actually take that time? That leads to the second point. What happens? You know, whenever I talk to, to married couples, when I do premarital with them, one of the questions I ask them is, what was your first impression of each other when you first met each other? And you get some funny answers. And it's important because your first impression is often your lasting impression. My favorite one was this one couple. I'm not going to say who they are, but they met online. And the wife said, oh, when I, you know, the first time she called him, and there's a first conversation. And in the conversation, while they're talking, he's just playing piano in the conversation. And the, I was like, why did you do that to the guy? He's like, oh, you know, I just wanted to, yeah, I just was playing piano. And, you know, I'm like, oh, you, you wanted to show that you're musical or that you're gifted. And I asked the wife, like, well, what did you think of that? She's like, so lame. Like, so lame. And that was their, their first impression. It worked out well they're married now, but that was just a funny story because, again, first impressions, they often are your lasting impression. Yahweh right here, he's about to meet with Moses. The first time they interact, what's the first impression Yahweh's going to give Moses? Two things. You notice there's two things Yahweh wants Moses to know about him. Number one is this. Yahweh reveals to Moses that he is holy. He is a holy God. Look at verse 5. Look what it says. Do not come closer. This is Yahweh speaking. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And notice later in verse 6, Moses, he hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Yahweh tells Moses, before we start any conversation, don't get any closer. Take off your sandals, because I am holy. This is a holy space. When we think of the word holiness today, we think of negative stuff like don't, so God doesn't cuss, God doesn't watch rated R movies, God doesn't drink, and that is just not how the Bible describes holiness. Holiness, it's described as being set apart. You're absolutely different from all of creation. I've said this so many times, and I feel like sometimes we don't grasp it, so I want to show what this looks like. There's this Instagram account that I found. It's called the AI Bible. Pretty much what it does is it gets stories of the Bible, and it creates an AI picture of what those stories look like. It's really fascinating. You should follow it. And there's an interesting post that I saw where it says, when we think of angels and seraphim, we think they look like this. So if you saw an angel, like, I want to see an angel. Like, who's my guardian angel? Like, I'd love to see my angel if, there's, if angels are real. And we think, yeah, because there are these guys with like these wings or so forth. Have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? Have you ever read how Ezekiel describes what seraphim look like? The AI Bible used what Ezekiel described, and this is a closer resemblance of what a seraphim looks like. You guys ready? This is what it looks like. 
Boom. How would you approach that? Would you be like, hello, and just like give it a hug? Yo, you would freak out. What is that thing? It can't, you can't like relate it to anything we see today. You know why? Because it's holy. That's what it means to be holy. It's different. And what's even crazier? When these dudes, when they see Yahweh, they're like, oh, you're too holy. They freak out when they see Yahweh. You know why? Because Yahweh is holy, holy, holy. That's who we're dealing with. And that's why the story of Exodus, it's like all these weird stories, these weird moments. Like, why is this happening? Like, why is this, this is the way God's reacting? And you will never understand unless you get in your mind that this is a holy God we're dealing with. And that's the first impression Yahweh wants to give to Moses. Secondly, the second impression that Yahweh gives is not just he's holy, but Yahweh reveals to Moses He's a holy God, but he's also a loving God. Look at verse 78 with me. It says, And the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is so the opposite of the the default American view of God. When we think about God, we imagine him like a landlord where he, he owns the place, he's there, but we don't see him. He only drops by once in a while to collect our debts or whatever it might be, but he's absent most of the time. And yet here, Yahweh is saying, no, I see you. I observe what you're doing. I hear what's happening. I know you. He comes down because Yahweh, he wants Moses and Israel and all to know that he is a God who deeply cares and is deeply involved with his people. And again, that's the only way the story of Exodus makes sense. Like, why would God tolerate Israel with all the craziness they do? Because he's deeply committed. He's deeply involved. He deeply loves them. And we hear this, but the problem with us is, even though we say, oh yeah, God is holy, he's loving, like human beings, we have a hard time, like, connecting those two. We could see God as holy, we can see him as loving, but to do both, that's really challenging for a lot of us. Some of you, you believe in a God, and you recognize that he is not just holy, he's only holy. You respect him, he's far off, and you're like, he's big, but he's not beautiful to you. He's not relatable. I remember my community group, we asked that question, like, when you think about God, like, what image comes to your brain? And like, half of them, like, I imagine the cloud, a giant cloud just like floating in the air. And like, oh, you got the holiness part, right? Like, that, that's different. That's other. That's different than you. And yet you can't really talk to a cloud, right? It's hard to feel loved by a cloud. And yet for a lot of you, that's your concept of God. He's holy and that's it. Others of you, you can relate to God, but not that he's holy, but he is not just loving, he is only loving you feel accepted by him. You're like, I'm so glad that God forgives me for all that I do. But for you, you don't take him that seriously. When you hear like, hey, this is how Christians should live, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know, but you know, God forgives me. And you just kind of have that casual attitude because God is loving to you. He's not holy to you. And just know when you do this, when we do this to God, what you are doing with Yahweh is you are creating a caricature of him. You guys know a caricature? 
If you go to a carnival and they draw a picture of you, and they, it's you when they show it to you, but it's all these exaggerated features. Your nose is big, or your ears are big, or your head is big. And again, it's true, and yet it's an exaggeration of a certain aspect of you. The Bible, when it says we do this odd all the time, but it calls it not a character, it's called idolatry, where we highlight one aspect of God and make that God completely. And Exodus constantly warns Israel against that because Yahweh, he wants to be known for who he truly is. My wife, she's becoming friends with a lot of our kids' parents, so they meet at school and they do small talk. Imagine my wife, and they go, oh, are you married? And she goes, yeah. And they go, oh, is your husband around? She goes, oh, no, but I have a picture of him. And she shows a picture of Ryan Gosling. That's my husband. Or better yet, what she said, she morphed Ryan Gosling in my picture like with using some type of technology, and all the bad features of mine is replaced by like Ryan Gosling. Going, this is my husband. If that happens, it's like, you know, I get that you want me to look like Ryan Gosling, and, it's all, and I probably even look better looking in that way if you did it that way. That's messed up because that's not me. Love me for me, right? And that's similar with Yahweh. If you only see him as holy or you only see him as loving, you are imagining and relating to Yahweh in a way that he's not. And it's not the way relationships work. What happens if you were to meet the real Yahweh? Someone who is Fully holy, but also fully loving. Like you hold those two in tension. You know what happens? You encounter a God of fire. Do you notice in the Bible how often God appears as fire? Burning bush, Mount Sinai, fire. Wilderness, pillar of fire. Why fire? Why not water? Why not dirt? Why does he choose fire? And the reason why is when you touch water or dirt, you shape the water You shape the dirt. You manipulate it based on how you're touching it. You touch fire, the fire shapes you. It changes you. And this is how Yahweh wants us to know who he is. You are not somebody when you relate to him that you just change Yahweh and emphasize things to make it convenient to the way your worldview and life is. You do not change him in this relationship. He changes you. He works like fire. And unless you meet Yahweh for who he is, you have not fully met the true Yahweh. Unless you are transforming in this relationship, you're probably relating to Elohim, this general God who you just kind of morph. Because Yahweh, he changes the people who he walks with. So how do you know you're meeting the real Yahweh? It's actually really simple. How do you know you're meeting a God who's holy and loving? The simple answer is, are you becoming holy? Are you becoming loving? Some of you here, again, is holiness something that you could say is happening in your life? And by holiness, again, not the radar movies you avoid or so forth. I'm thinking of the way you spend your money, the way you work at your job, the way your relationships and marriage functions. Is it shaped in any way that's different than how it would have been if you weren't following Yahweh? A lot of us here, you believe in God, but your life would look exactly the same if you didn't believe in God. You just sleep in on Sunday mornings. That's the only difference. And if that's you, just know you might believe in Elohim, but holiness is not there. Because if you are holy, you are living a different way than how you would normally have lived if you didn't have a holy God. Some of you here, are you becoming loving? There's some of us here, like, you believe in truth, and you're like, yeah, I believe in my Bible and so forth, but you're just not nice. 
think you're kind? Your parents, your siblings, your friends, do they go, I noticed that you're becoming kinder, gentler, more humble, more open. That's when you know that the love of God is real. Because you are becoming more loving. And again, and this, I say this, but I know it's hard because we don't operate that way. We hold both intention, and that's why it's easy just to emphasize one versus the other. And so how do you grow where you actually become both holy and loving? And nothing has the power to transform you more like this than when you meet Jesus at the cross where holiness and love meet. Jesus died to pay for your sins because you are not holy. Jesus died because you are not loving And because of Jesus, we are now able to become what we could not have been without our own. Holy, loving people. And when you meet Jesus at the cross and that becomes real to you, you know what happens? What the Bible tells us? Fire. The Holy Spirit comes down upon his people. And he transforms you to become holy and loving, just like the God that you profess to believe as holy and loving. You become like Yahweh. This is what happens when you meet the real living God. And that leads to our last point. How do we relate to Yahweh? How does this relationship keep going? After learning, after learning about who Yahweh is and the first impression, we actually reach the climax of this interaction. Look at what happens in verse 13. It's interesting. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? Now, why is Moses like, hey, tell me your name? And one big thing is Moses, he's not just looking for a name to put on a Starbucks label to call you out, say, hey, this is, this is who you are. Like, that's not how names worked back then. Back then, names were not just a label. It revealed who you were, your character, your destiny. It kind of gave us an impression of, like, who you are. Uh, teachers, educators, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Uh, my wife and I were both educators at one point, And, man, did that make it hard to think of a name for a kid? Like, we thought of the name, like, hey, we have a son. Should we name him Christian? Because we're Christians. Let's name him Christian. And my wife was like, never. Every Christian I met in my classroom are terrible people. Apologies to the Christians here. But because we know, like, oh, name carries something more than just a label. It carries character for us. It carries history for us. That's kind of similar to how the ancient Near East thought of names. It told something about you. And in the book of Genesis, that's interesting is God, he, called many names. El Elyon, God Most High. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Roy, God Sees. That's what people call him. But here in Exodus 3, for the very first time, God says, this is actually my name. You knew me as Daniel. Let me tell you the Dili version of me. This is what people, I want them to call me. And look what he says in verse 14. God replied, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. This phrase, I am who I am, in the Hebrew, this is the literal phrase. Eya, Asher, Eya. That is the personal name of God. Now, that should make everyone, if you're paying attention, pause. Wait, I thought his name was Yahweh. Who's I am? Like, what, what's going on here? And for you all Bible geeks, 30 seconds Bible nerd hat. Uh, the reason why it's like that is this. Eya is I am, first person. Yahweh is he is, third person. Only God calls himself Eye, because only he is Yahweh. Everyone else, when we refer to his personal name, it's Yahweh. That's how it goes. And so when you see this, by the way, when you look at that, you go, oh man, like I am who I am. So cool, so philosophical. 
what's for lunch? And you just kind of move on, right? But what does this mean? Like, what does this communicate? And just know, scholars have debated the meaning of this. There's so much literature about this for thousands of years, and we're going to resolve it all right now in these next seven minutes. Uh, Very briefly, let me just highlight two things about what it means when God says, I am what I am. Yahweh's name, it reveals uh, what he is, is he always will be. It's past, it's present, it's future. And this is so different than how you and I are. You ever meet somebody and you think, this person, oh, they're really, they're really interesting. They're fun, funny, they're generous, they're nice people. And when you meet someone like that, you want to be their friend. Maybe you'll be roommates with them. If you're attracted to them, maybe you to start dating and marry them because you think they're fun, they're funny. But what happens when you really get to know them? You go, oh, you're only sometimes funny. You're sometimes entertaining. You're sometimes generous. Because for us, our kindness, our generosity, our humor, it depends a lot on our circumstances, like how we felt that day, our vibes, what happened at work, our moods. Like It just all kind of depends on how the day went. Yahweh, he's saying he's different. He's not someone where you go, hey, once you actually get to know him, this is how he really is. That's not Yahweh. What is about him is always him. Yahweh, he is a God who is dependent not on circumstances. It's not on the vibes. It's not on how the day went. He is who he always is. The qualities that are essential about him, you can always rely on those are always going to be there. Which begs the question, what are those qualities? And that's where the book of Exodus tells us. You want to know his qualities? Read Exodus. Read the story. When you read Exodus, you're going to find out who Yahweh is. Yahweh is all about justice. You know the ten plagues. Like, why ten plagues? Just do one. Why is it so long? Why is it so tedious? Because Yahweh wants people to know what Yahweh means is, I am a God who hates oppression who responds to evil, who cannot stand when the vulnerable and the oppressed are being trampled over, I am a God of justice. That's who Yahweh is. And that's what Exodus emphasizes that. You're also going to find out Yahweh, again, he's holy. All those laws and commands that seem like, what's the tediousness of all these laws that we don't make sense of? It's because, oh, Yahweh's trying to show Israel the way I do things is so different than the way the surrounding culture does things. Because he's holy. He's different. And you see in Exodus, not only that, but Yahweh, he is a God who is present. To be Yahweh means you're, he wants to be with his people. Those boring chapters on like building the tabernacle, is like, come on, like why is it going over and over again in Exodus? Because this is who Yahweh is. He wants to be and dwell with his people. And that's what he's trying to just emphasize that and reveal that about himself. And this is why centuries later, it was so scandalous when a Jewish rabbi named Jesus came around and started acting like Yahweh. Jesus was all about injustice. He was a person who was all about the, against the oppression of the poor, spoke out against evil. Jesus, he was somebody that was so holy where he taught us follow his way, not the ways of the world. And Jesus, he literally dwelled amongst his people. Because Jesus, he's not just a Jewish rabbi. Jesus, he's actually Yahweh. In fact, Jesus, he is the only person to dare, apart from Exodus 3, to dare call himself not just Yahweh, but Eye. 
John chapter 8, verse 50, verse 59. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to draw him because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And that's why, if you want to know what Yahweh really means, you can't just know the story of Exodus. You have to know the story of Jesus. Jesus reveals Yahweh in the clearest final revelation to us. So quick question for us. You know, to different people in my life, I am known as dad. I'm known as hun. I'm known as sir. I'm known as dude. I'm known as pastor. And all those references reveals the type of relationship I have with those people. And here's a question for you. What do you call God? How do you relate to him? How you label him, it reveals the type of relationship you have with him. You know, God does not want to be called a title. A lot of us, when we pray, dear God, dear Elohim, that's what we're doing. Dear Elohim. And again, that's not wrong. That's a title. But that's like saying to my wife, hey, my, the wife, the wife is home. It's true. And yet, what would that reveal to you if that's the way I communicated to her? Oh, something's wrong. <laughs> if someone peeked into our relationship with God, are you guys fighting? Why do you call him that? Why is he Elohim? See, for a lot of us here, that's just kind of what we grew up. We were just this impersonal relationship that's there. And never does he say, yeah, that's how I want you to call me. You know what he says? He wants me to know. Look at verse 15. Look what it says. God said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is how I am to be remembered in every generation. I want to be known as Yahweh, not Elohim, because this is the type of God he is. And so question, should we start calling Yahweh? Sunday's like, let's walk Yahweh's here. Like, should we do that? Maybe. Not a bad idea. Let me suggest a better idea, though. Jesus takes it a step further. Jesus never calls God God. He doesn't even call him Yahweh. You know what Jesus calls God? Pray then like this, our Father. Ooh, even more intimate. People don't call God Yahweh. It's pretty t- intimate. But they call him Father. Ooh, you are communicating something deep. When you pray, never call him Father. Try it. See what happens. See what happens to your prayers. Because this is how God wants to relate with us. This is how Jesus tells us to relate with him. Because when you are in Christ, God is not just Elohim. He's even deeper than Yahweh. He's Father. And so every Sunday we like to end with the practice. And before we take the Lord's Supper, what's our practice for us? Can I just suggest for us, as followers of Jesus, and feel free to test this out. Feel free to DM me if you have, if this is resting with your brain. But when we pray, don't call him God. Try not calling God. Again, it's not wrong, but try, you know, if you want to try Yahweh, go for it. There's nowhere that says don't call him Yahweh. See what that does to your relationship with God. Or if you want to get deeper and riskier, call him Father. See what that does to your relationships. Community groups, when you open prayer, don't just start, dear God, Father. What would happen if that, if that was the practice that we took place as a church? Let's not be legalistic going, don't call him God, don't do that. But if we do this small, subtle shift of this is who he is, he is Yahweh, he is Father.
what would happen to your relationship with him? Let's pray together.